Welcome to another edition of This Show Is Not About Menopause. Because menopause is only one day, so that would make for a pretty short show. But the truth is, we are on this planet for a good long time, which means we have so much more to talk about when it comes to women's health. Your hormones, your heart, your sleep, and yes, even your sex life. 77% of women have questions about their health, and I'm on a mission to ensure 100% have quality answers. Hi, my name is Shirley. I am 56 years old. I reached menopause when I was 49, and I am the founder of Menopause Chicks, an online educational community where women come to access quality health information and to get these three reminders. You are not alone. You are not meant to suffer. And you are smart, which means you can learn to navigate any health journey with confidence and ease. Speaking of quality health education, this is made possible by both the experts and listeners like you. I have the opportunity to work with some of the world's top women's health professionals who specialize in heart, brain, and bone health, vulva, vaginal, pelvic, and sexual health, hormone health, and more. This is important because I want us to enjoy quality of life now and for the next three to five decades. I'd also like to express my gratitude to the folks who share my mission and make this important work possible. Vichy Laboratoire, Ferropro, Feel Amazing Vulva and Vaginal Moisturizer, and Intimate Wellbeing. Now let's do this because you deserve to feel amazing. Feel amazing vulva and vaginal moisturizer. What can I say? This might be one of the proudest projects from Menopause Chicks to date. A few years ago, I asked women what they wanted me to research. The answer was overwhelmingly another solution for vaginal dryness. That's because 86% of women experience vulva and vaginal dryness in postmenopause, and yet less than 4% have an easy viable solution. And research shows hyaluronic acid is effective for both the prevention and treatment of dryness. So we took this challenge to a team of pharmacists who created Feel Amazing Vulva and Vaginal Moisturizer with hyaluronic acid and a little vitamin E. It's a product created by a community for its community. And you can learn more at MoisturizeYourVagina.com. My guest today is many things. Author, speaker, pelvic health guru, and more. We often introduce each other as colleagues, friends, neighbors, and today I want to introduce you to my vagina coach. Kim Vopney is the vagina coach and creator of the award-winning Buff Muff app, and she is my go-to person for all things related to vulva, vaginal, bladder, and pelvic health. We have had such a great time over the last year co-hosting a Q&A event called Kegels and Mocktails. So much so that I just couldn't wait to share Kim and her expertise with you. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you so much. Lovely introduction. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know. And we've done this so many times, but I'm really excited to be able to do this for this show is not about menopause. Yeah. So let's start there. I mean, you your work, I know, has touched uh, labor and delivery and birth and postpartum. But now you do spend a lot of time with women navigating perimenopause to postmenopause. So tell us about your work. Yeah. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. Um, I, you're right, started because I, I recognize a huge void with regards to pelvic health in pregnancy. So I was afraid of childbirth and tearing. And through my experience, I recognize there's probably a lot of other people who have these same fears. Right. And so that's how it, how it all started. And it was not necessarily supposed to be a business. I just thought I'd have this little side thing marketing and selling this product that I had used in my pregnancies manufactured in Germany. Um, it's a biofeedback device for the pelvic floor. And so as I started selling this, I had pelvic health physiotherapists referring to me, which I had never heard of a pelvic health physiotherapist. So I learned Go more about- Go see one. <laughs> yeah, sidebar. <laughs> uh, I learned about their work and started screaming from the rooftops about this very underused women's health resource that we have that we don't even know about. Right. And then started to recognize there was a part of pelvic health overlooked in the postpartum recovery. We are celebrating people to get back to the gym at two weeks postpartum and high-fiving them as they leave the hospital with absolutely zero recovery plan in place. And that was spent, you know, a number of years doing that. But then I started to go through my own perimenopause journey and now postmenopause myself and recognize that this conversation of pelvic health is not just about do your Kegels in pregnancy and well, maybe a couple in postpartum as well. It's, it's really something we need to know about and and be aware of and navigate through all the life stages that we go through. It's so true. Like I started menopause chicks. I was navigating my own journey. And I don't think until I met you, I had ever uttered the words pelvic health. Yeah. <laughs> so what is pelvic health? Yeah. I, oh, my, and by the way, I'd had two children vaginally right. and I still didn't use the term yeah. pelvic health. So many clients I would see who seem like they've given birth multiple times, they've had sexual intercourse multiple times, and they weren't aware of their own anatomy. They didn't, they didn't understand it, which is not their fault We've never been told. We've, weren't, right. we've never been provided this information. And so I think when we are learning or teaching kids about menstrual health, sexual health, body, why are we not talking about this really important group of muscles, both male and female have, yes. but people with female anatomy, women, we have other stages of life, other influences that put us at greater risk for pelvic floor dysfunction. So pelvic health really is the health of our pelvis, the anatomy within our pelvis. So here is our our pelvis. This is my pelvis model. I've never named this my models, my but this is my pelvis. <laughs> you can and vote for a name. So we have a bony scaffolding, and we also have a group of muscles called the pelvic floor muscles. So it's not just one muscle. It is several different layers of muscles, three. First layer, primarily responsible for sexual response. Second layer, primarily responsible for our openings of the um, urethra, the vagina, the anus. And third layer, primarily responsible for supporting the internal organs. The pelvic floor also plays a role in our pelvic and spinal stability. And it also acts like a sump pump. It works in relationship to our diaphragm to help keep things moving through our body as we breathe. And so these are really important jobs, things that we want to have control over. And pelvic health is about optimizing this part of our body so that it works without us having to think about it. Right. And we have sexual pleasure. We have our continence managed and maintained. We aren't rushing to the bathroom. We aren't leaking urine. We have our organs in place where they're supposed to be. We can move with freedom and without pain. 
So these are all really important things that, again, we've never been told about. Yeah. You, I think you just said the word continents, mm -hmm. but the word we hear most from marketers, media, and even the medical community is incontinence. Mm -hmm. So what is that? So continence is the capacity, our ability to hold our waste products in the body and choose to let them go when we want them to come out. Incontinence is where we lose that ability. So if urine is leaking out of the body when we don't want it to, that is urinary incontinence. You can also have anal incontinence where gas or stool leak out. And incontinence, we think about it as something that, oh, that's just people who are in nursing homes or yeah. the older population. Yeah. But incontinence can happen to anybody. Young, very fit athletes, it's very common in certain high-level impact sports. And so it's not just something that happens just as we're older or once we're older. It can happen at any stage. It's very common. But we are also sent messages that, uh, another name, light bladder leakage is just part of being a woman. Or what did you expect after giving birth? Or, well, that's just a normal part of aging. And so we have all these messages thinking, well, I just need to... I guess I just need to suck it up and wear pads and carry on. And it's very, very treatable. That's right. But the interim step before many of the women in my community get to you is often talking to their physician right. and being offered maybe a medication or like a bladder control medication uh, or surgery is suggested. Yeah. So what are we missing as we paint a picture for people right now and what their options are? Yeah, well, you mentioned you had a nice little suggestion of pelvic health physical therapy. And <laughs> as I said before, I learned about this profession and thought, how is it that I've never heard of this before and we could access these amazing professionals? In France, women are yes. given 6 to 12 visits paid for by the government after they give birth to help restore function in the pelvic floor. Why is that not a global standard? Right. So in terms of, yes, the first current first line of defense is usually people waiting on average six and a half to seven years before they go, but then finally going to their primary care doctor. And they can play a role. But in those appointments, there's about seven, maybe 10 minutes of time. There's yeah. not really an opportunity to have a full discussion. There's not an opportunity for a full pelvic exam. And so what I really wish would happen during those appointments is that they would say, go see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And in many parts of, parts of the world, you don't need a referral. You can self-refer unless your maybe your uh, insurance plan requires a referral right. but you can self-refer and just book on your own so that would be my preference in terms of what i think is the best first line of defense we have loads of evidence to support pelvic floor muscle training and pelvic floor physical therapists are our best teachers for pelvic floor muscle training and it's preventative too is it a not a thousand percent right like going to the dentist exactly i say that all Don't the time wait till you have a cavity yeah so I say also like how I got into this was I was afraid of tearing. Mm. I saw what my mom went through. My mom had episiotomies. She had surgery for incontinence. She had a hysterectomy. She had chronic back pain. And so I was going into pregnancy and birth with this preventive mindset, which is I, I don't want to say like I'm something special, but not a lot of people think that way. More yeah. people are motivated to fix a problem that exists of course. than they are to prevent yeah. it from happening. But I had this very strong motivator. I, I really don't want to pee my pants. I really don't want to have surgery. I really, I really want to do whatever I can. So that mindset, I think we should really be taking throughout our life. So a lot of people are waiting until they have pelvic symptoms to come and address it, where I say, don't wait until you have symptoms. Do it now so that they don't happen. And the dentist is something I say all the time. Yeah. 
we're told from a very young age to brush our teeth twice a day, floss, go see the dentist once or twice a year, and we diligently go even if we have no toothache or any apparent challenges. And then we get our checkup and we go and we come back six months later. And, and if we did the same thing with our pelvic health, I think it would make such a change to women's health in general, to our confidence, to our production and capacity at work, to our relationships. So many people right. are avoiding so much of what's amazing in life because of their pelvic floor. It's holding them back. Right. Yeah. Like we've heard stories of, you know, I don't go on field trips with my girlfriends anymore because I'm always worried about where the next bathroom is going to be. Or I don't want to go on a vacation with someone because then they'll see that I use incontinence pads. Like I hear all these really personal, hard hitting stories from women all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. If people are avoiding they are quitting work sometimes. Oh. They are their relationships are breaking down. They're avoiding exercise. And so when we think about the population that we work with, perimenopause and menopause, knowing our rates of heart disease, diabetes, yes. like bone loss, all of that skyrockets after we reach our menopause. And this population is also dealing with incontinence and organ prolapse and pelvic floor dysfunction, which is also holding them back from exercise, which is so important to help right. manage those things. So it is such an overlooked, incredibly important part of the body that indirectly will help support all of the other things of life as well. Absolutely. Okay, I want to go to prolapse, but I think we should first connect some dots between what we're talking about and menopause, right? right. So when estrogen declines at menopause or immediately after menopause, what happens and how does that connect to our pelvic health? Yeah. So hormones are, are a piece of it, and it, it's a big piece, but I don't want to put all of the emphasis sure. just on the loss of estrogen. Yeah. So as we age, we are losing muscle mass. It's called sarcopenia. So that's playing a role. As we age, we are producing less collagen. That's playing a role. As we age, we are producing less hyaluronic acid, which we know is beneficial, and, and that's, that's playing a role. And then we also have the hormonal piece as right. well. And the hormones are, it's not I mean, it's a bit of an up and down as as we're in perimenopause, and then there's a pretty steep decline once we reach our menopause. And we don't have to necessarily wait until we reach menopause to start experiencing some of these problems. But all throughout our pelvis, we have estrogen receptors in the walls of the vagina, in and around the bladder. And when we are no longer producing that estrogen that those receptors love, we now have dryness, irritation, there's some thinning of the tissues, the walls of the vagina can actually start to mm -hmm. narrow. Some of the uh, bladder symptoms that might have been apparent before are now maybe starting to show up a little bit more often, maybe some frequency, some maybe even now burning when they urinate, uh, maybe some irritation and dryness just with wearing clothes. Waking in the middle of the night to Waking pee. Waking in the middle of the night to pee which can be hormone, can also be behavior related. <laughs> <laughs> so lots of contributing factors there. But uh, yeah, so we have, we have a whole bunch of things, but again, we don't necessarily know the whole picture. And so the good thing about what's happening with the talk of menopause having greatly increased is there's a section of menopause, an umbrella called genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which is now indirectly increasing the conversation and the awareness of pelvic health yes. because bladder health, prolapse, incontinence, vaginal atrophy, dryness are all under that umbrella. Yes, yes. Okay, let's talk about prolapse and then we'll go to dryness. Okay. Okay, so what is a prolapse? 
A prolapse is essentially when one or sometimes all of the organs, so we can have the bladder, the uterus, and or the rectum, are shifting out of their proper anatomical position and they are bulging into, in the case of the bladder or the rectum, or they're descending into, in the case of the uterus, into the vagina. And statistically, so if we think about incontinence, we hear about incontinence on you know, all the advertisements, we think it's so common, and, yeah. and it is. It's about 40-ish percent of women, if you think of, of it statistically, which I think it's actually even higher because that's reported cases yeah, and so right. many people aren't reporting exactly. it. Exactly. Right? But that's the statistic we have there. With prolapse, it's 50%. 50% of women have some degree of prolapse, and this is even more, so pelvic health in general is not known about, and prolapse is definitely not known about. So many people are sidelined by this diagnosis and they're like i've never heard of this before yet 50 percent of women will experience one in their lifetime that's every second person that we run into today has prolapse yeah someone you know needs this information yeah 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 exactly so early stage prolapse can sometimes be asymptomatic you might you might not even know at all some people may have an early stage prolapse and have crazy symptoms other people have zero symptoms. So symptoms aren't an indicator of severity or of prolapse at at all. Um, Some of the more common symptoms that could indicate prolapse may be back pain, Mm. might be difficulty with insertion. So whether that's if they're still using a tampon or a toy or a penis, fingers where they feel like they hit something or just uh, it feels uncomfortable. Right. There may also be um, uh, like a sense of something stuck in the vagina. I feel like something's in there. Maybe it feels like a tampon's not sitting correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, There might be some, there's not really a lot of pain associated, but there is a lot of usually heaviness and dragginess and achiness. And especially as the day goes on, they may feel like they want to have some counter pressure against their perineum. They might feel like they want to sit down more. Um, Some people may actually see or feel a bulge right at the entrance to the so if you can think of this as the opening to the vagina, they may actually see a, mm. a bulge. A lot of people say it looks like a little pink ball. Right. And so those are all common symptoms associated with it. But again, some people can have a more advanced prolapse and have no symptoms. Some pr- people can have very early stage and have no symptoms at all. So, um, And actually, one more thing I want to say is uh, urinary retention or difficulty emptying the bladder oh. and also inability to empty the rectum as well. So constipation or feeling like you need to strain are also common symptoms. Wow. Okay. The very first thing you said, I think is important to come back to because you said back pain. Yeah. And like amongst my peer group right now, like we're all talking about back pain, Yeah. but that's another thing we're not yet always connecting the dots on. Yeah. So Dr. Sinead DeFour is a pelvic floor physio in uh, Ontario and is mainly a researcher now. And she did a study where she was looking at the relationship of back pain to pelvic floor dysfunction. And in her research, 95.3% of women with low back pain have some form of pelvic floor dysfunction, which is shocking, right? Yes. So again, we have like, we, we have back pain and we go to massage therapy and chiropractor and physio and acupuncture, (laughs) which are all helpful and they can absolutely all play a role. However, the people that are just like, it's just chronic. It keeps coming back. It's naggy. It's not going away. It's just part of getting older. It, yes, exactly. Why are we not looking at the pelvis? That is so often the missing link. Have we talked about poop yet? <laughs> not yet. I, know you, talk about I know you like to talk about poop. <laughs> I always love to talk about Yeah. So 
constipation is is very damaging to the pelvic floor. It's something that's very common. A lot of people deal with constipation, and we we don't necessarily. You're going to say everybody poops. <laughs> well, yes. that's true, but not everybody poops well. Right. Not everybody poops well. You know, if you're straining to go and maybe not going every single day, that's a sign of constipation. Sometimes even going once a day is you could still be constipated if you're having difficulty with voiding and it's not a good consistency. So there's something called the Bristol stool chart and you can Google this and you'll come up with all sorts of images of poop and it ranges with numbers associated next to them. And we're aiming for a number three maybe, but four would be your ideal number on the Bristol stool chart. So on on your number two chart, you want to be a number four. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to be um, a nice kind of, to be graphic, a nice big long log. And it's formed. It's not too hard. It's not little rabbit pellets. We just sit down. It comes out with ease. And we have that sense of relief. Like we should have some pooforia, I call it, right? At the end of it, you should have its, I'm not going to equate it quite like an orgasm, but it's kind of that like, oh, like it just feels really good. And we all deserve to feel that way. Right. But so many of us are dreading going to the toilet because Mm. it's difficult to get out or they're straining. And if we're straining every day, especially if we already have prolapse, we're going to be making that situation worse. Or if we don't yet have prolapse, we are definitely paving the way. Right. And if we have constipation, if we're not voiding, if we're not we're not emptying our bowels, that can also contribute to incontinence. So it usually will make things, we'll have a little bit more urgency and it can also make it a little bit more difficult to actually contract and control. So we got to poop really well. <laughs> okay. Take that away with you. <laughs> um, okay. Obviously you have solutions and I'm going to ask you about that, but we have some viewer questions. Sure. So you okay to do that and like feel free to tell us what you you do in these situations. Okay, let's go. My doctor suggested bladder control medication and possibly surgery. Is there anything else I can do first? It's from Jana in Toronto. Yes, Jana. So thank you for sharing your question. And this is very common. A lot of people, again, we were t- talking before, people will go see their primary care physician and they aren't necessarily aware of all the advancements in pelvic health or that there even exists pelvic floor physical therapists. And so they know pharmaceuticals and surgery. Right. And those can be really great options for the for certain people or certain populations. But there's something I want people to pursue after they've looked at the conservative approaches. So number one thing I would say is find a pelvic floor physical therapist and book in with them and get a really thorough assessment of your pelvic floor, understanding the root causes of what's contributing to your incontinence. And that could be diet related, it could be sleep, could be stress, could be posture, could be breath, could be scar tissue from childbirth, could be menopause. Like there's so many different contributing factors. And we so often, especially if we have that seven to 10 minute visit with our care provider, we just don't have an opportunity to explore those. So number one, see pelvic floor physical therapist. Number two, even if you can't see a pelvic floor physical therapist, we need to optimize our posture and our breath and our pelvic floor contraction. We need to connect with this group of muscles Mm -hmm. we've never never been introduced to before. So part of what I do and part of what pelvic floor physical therapists do is teach you about this group of muscles and how it relates to our breath. So when we inhale, pelvic floors are relaxing and lengthening. And as we exhale, pelvic floors are contracting and lifting. We've all heard of Kegel exercises, Mm -hmm. or most of us have heard of those. 
And we have loads of evidence to show that Kegels do work when they are done correctly, when they are done consistently. And I take it a step further, and we are now getting more and more research to support that when they are coordinated with movement, we have even more success. So, like when you're taking the groceries out of the trunk, yeah, and activities like of daily living, any, right? Exactly. Even your workout. Um, we want to we want to train the pelvic floor dynamically. Got it. Yeah. So, pelvic floor physical therapy, a good whole body pelvic floor fitness program. Optimize your diet, so getting rid of processed foods, getting rid of things that are inflammatory, especially bladder irritants, drinking lots of water. So many people avoid drinking water because they're afraid of leaking or afraid of having to go to the bathroom too often. Then you end up constipated. Exactly. Yeah. And bladder medication Mm. is not going to solve stress urinary incontinence. If somebody truly has overactive bladder, so there is a medical condition of overactive bladder and you would go through some testing to determine if that actually is your your situation, in which case medication may be helpful for you. But even if medication is something that's indicated, that's not really totally addressing the whole picture. You still would benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy. You still would benefit from changing diet if you need to and doing your whole body pelvic floor exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a long life to live. Yes. Like incontinence, I think you taught me, is the number two reason why women are admitted into long-term care. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's the thing that when we're caring for elders, potentially, we can go so far, but as soon as continence Mm -hmm. issues come into play and we now need to help, that's where people are like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. 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 So totally limiting. Yeah. But, you know, medication, if you need it, I think I heard you say that surgery, if you choose that route as well and And. pelvic floor physio and And. exactly. And if you have, if surgery is indicated or if surgery is chosen, also, pelvic floor physical therapy before you go to surgery, pelvic floor exercise before you go to surgery, because we want to get that group of muscles in the best state possible prior to undergoing this chosen trauma, controlled trauma that we go through. Then we have to understand the principles of recovery and retraining that system after it's gone through that process. Now we also have scar tissue to manage, and mm. scar tissue can come in and interfere with function. So, so many people are like, well, I'm just going to do the surgery because it's easier. And they're often told, well, now you don't need exercise because <laughs> you just had the surgery and you're, you don't, and the symptoms are either motivators or reasons why people think they need to do it. But even just like brushing our teeth, flossing, going to the dentist, we need to stay on top and manage this part of our body, especially as we're aging. And it's true that some people who choose the surgery route have to have it done twice. Right. And I think, a, I think a reason for that can often be coming back to, we haven't, address the root or causes. Or talked about it enough. We haven't talked right? about it enough. We have, they haven't. Yeah. And, and I don't, I, I don't want to put shame on the people that no, have chosen of that. Of course. It can be an absolutely amazing decision. And yes, there can be sometimes maybe faults with the surgeon. There, there's many reasons. But I think a lot of it is we aren't bringing in that pelvic health maintenance piece, the, the diet, the avoiding constipation, the hydration, the exercise, the pelvic floor physio once a year. And I think if we did that, Not only would the whole landscape of pelvic health, but if we think about pelvic surgery, I think it would reduce the already high recurrence rate we see when people go through pelvic surgery. Okay, let's take a minute. Can you do this in a minute? (laughs) And just describe going to a pelvic floor physio and then describe your work. Yes. 
A pelvic floor physiotherapist is a physiotherapist with additional training and, and license to evaluate beyond the opening of the vagina. Okay. So they will do a clothed whole body assessment where they look at your breathing, your movement. They will ask your health history. They, they'll. It's such a great education. Yeah. Like it. it yeah. You've never had somebody pay so much attention yes. to all of these important parts of your life. Right. And then. If indicated and with your consent, you will have an internal evaluation where you will be laying down on a treatment table. You'll have a, a gown on or a, potentially a sheet over you. With your consent, the therapist will use a gloved finger potentially too to look at the external genitalia. So they'll be looking for skin conditions. They'll be looking for any scar tissue. They will then insert a finger and they're feeling for tone. They're feeling, can I insert? Because there are some people who, who can't accommodate something being right. inserted. If you can, they will <clears throat> um, insert a second finger. They're feeling for a balance of tone between the two sides. So they want to make sure that there's not one side that's very rigid and another side that's a little bit lax. They want to see and feel for the position of the organs. And they may ask you to cough or bear down right. to see if there's any descent. They're going to ask you to do a Kegel. So they want to feel, is there a, a like a, a hug, kind of like a hug of the fingers and a gentle draw up and then a release. They, they have to assess the release too. So many people are like, well, a Kegel is just a squeeze. <laughs> I got to clench, right? And, and oftentimes strength comes from learning to let go. So they can mm. be a big part of teaching us what it means to Amazing. release. So that's very, very quick yep. what will happen. I recorded my first pelvic floor physio appointment. I remember that. <laughs> you can watch it on YouTube. <laughs> we have two more questions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one says, I have a long history with constipation. My girlfriend just suggested pelvic floor exercises, but I'm not making the connection. Can you explain? This is mm -hmm. from Rebecca in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Rebecca. Okay. So back to the pelvis and those three openings, one of which is our anus here. And the pelvic floor muscles all, they're managing those three openings. And we have sphincters and, and muscles that directly influence the, the back passage. And sometimes inability to relax the pelvic floor muscles can lead to kind of gripping. And we, when it comes to voiding urine and um, stool, we need our pelvic floor muscles to relax to allow that to come out of the body. Same with childbirth. And if those muscles aren't relaxing, it might be very difficult to pass stool. And that mm. can then contribute to constipation. Because if we're not getting it out, then the stool stays there and it gets dried out. Mm. And then it makes it even harder the next time. And then if we're straining, then we're damaging the pelvic floor as well. So sometimes pelvic floor physical therapy and learning to relax or potentially addressing scar tissue that might be interfering can play a big role in, in getting the people back to being able to poop properly. So it's not always a diet thing. It might be a muscular thing. It could be a combination of the two. But definitely see a pelvic floor physical therapist. I would also ask about your water intake. Yeah. So I usually guide people somewhere in the range of two to three liters throughout the day. Um, and then we also want to look at how much fiber. So one, do they have a diversity of fiber? I really love the book called Fiber Fueled, which talks a lot about gut health and the diversity of the plants that we eat. And aiming for somewhere between 25 to 35-ish grams of fiber per day with a blend between soluble and insoluble. And most people, when they start tracking, they're very shocked. They're like, oh, yeah, I eat salad with every meal. But when they actually track the volume, like 10 to 15 10 to grams. 15. I was going to say 15. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of where people hover. So don't just like throw fiber supplements at yourself. You've got to kind of build that up. 
there may be a role for some people to retrain the the elimination habits to use potentially like a stool softener or something or a laxative just to get into a routine because our, our bowels love routine. Mm. So shift workers or people that are dealing with all sorts of shifting schedules are sometimes right. more likely to experience constipation. And does constipation impact more women than men? I don't know that actually. Hmm. Okay. I don't know that stat. All right. Um, this next one I think is about conversations, which I know you and I have talked about quite a bit too. So this is said, help, I'm 61, my mother is 82, and she just told me she is using period pads because she can no longer hold her pee. What can I do and what can we do? That's from Melanie in Kelowna. Thank you, Melanie. And it, it's heartbreaking when we hear it stories is. like that, right? And um, so first of all, there's a difference between period pads and incontinence pads. Yes. And I'm not suggesting that I want your mom to be in pads, but mm -hmm. period pads absorb the blood and incontinence pads, um, like if we're using period pads to absorb our urine, we will end up creating more dryness. Right. Um, so that's one disclaimer. And there's also reusable pad companies that might be playing a role in there as well. However, let's get out of the pads. That's... I remember we've done some math together. There's uh, pad math and people can spend upwards of between 30 to $75,000 over their lifetime if they're starting at around age 30 and living to kind of 80, 90-ish. Yeah. And so, and it's not a solution. So it can play a temporary role while we are seeking treatment. But what I would recommend is if you can, take your mom to a pelvic floor physical therapist. So it's never too late. Say, mom, we're going in. We're, and, and go together. Yeah, for sure. Go together, right? Maybe book back-to-back -back appointments or book a book double time so that we can. And, and that might make. You can be her advocate. Right. Yeah. An advocate, it might make her feel safer. It may not. Right. She may not want to have that, but you can, can have that conversation. So pelvic floor physical therapy first. I would also ask about vaginal estrogen. I would also ask about constipation and diet and sleep. And so not sleeping uh, just creates a whole host of inflammation and challenges in the body. Mm. Stress on top of that. And when people are dealing with pelvic floor dysfunction, they have increased levels of stress. So increased levels of inflammation, and that's going to exacerbate the symptoms as well. So we kind of, there's a lot to cover yeah. But I always say go to a pelvic floor physical therapist first, and then we can start to tackle some of the other the other challenges. Amazing. OK, so final topic. We haven't talked about vaginal dryness yes. yet. Yes. <laughs> do, 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 do. Vaginal dryness. So when I first heard the term vaginal atrophy mm -hmm. and was having that explained to me, there was a nurse continence advisor friend of mine who was explaining it to me. And she would sort of go back and forth between vaginal atrophy and vaginal dryness. Minus. And I said, okay, are they, are they this in and of the same thing? And they used, it used to just be called vaginal atrophy. atrophy. And vaginal atrophy was happening as a result of the thinning and the drying of the tissues and the narrowing of the vaginal walls, most commonly associated with the menopause transition. Also something that can, vaginal dryness can happen, um, in the postpartum period as well. And so as I was learning more about this and, 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 and recognizing how common it is, then it was start starting to go through the perimenopause, menopause transition and learning about from you, hyaluronic acid and vaginal moisturizer. I had heard of vaginal moisturizer before, but I didn't necessarily know really in, in full detail. So the, 
there's many things with hyaluronic acid being one. So if you step back to what I said earlier, we have age-related muscle loss, we have collagen loss, we have hyaluronic acid loss, we have estrogen loss. And part of part of what we can do is supplementing with potentially estrogen, with hyaluronic acid, with collagen, but muscle. So if we can exercise, exercise improves blood flow and circulation, and that can also help offset the changes that are happening. It's not going to cure it, but it can play a role. And we also wanna make sure that we have the capacity for insertion. So insertion is something that can help offset that narrowing that is happening. Right. And that doesn't have to be a partner. It could be fingers, it could be a toy, it could be a, a vaginal um, like red light therapy device right. or of some sort. They can play a role in helping maintain that restore tissue that ideally. Skin, yeah. yeah. So restore if you already have some dryness, but let's again think of it proactively. Yeah. What can we do to prevent? Um, but hyaluronic acid and, and vaginal moisturizer is something we can do at any age. We can start doing it proactively and preventatively. We don't have to ideally we're not waiting for for a problem to right? exist. Right. Yeah. So Moisturize your vagina. I after I get out of the shower every day, I put my feel amazing moisturizer on, and it's not goopy, it's not messy, and it's super easy. And uh, well, I shared with you a testimony the other day. Somebody know, just wrote back to me and you. said, "This really does feel amazing." <laughs> <laughs> so it's and easy. it's for the vulva too. Yes, which so many of the products leading up to five or so years ago was vagina, 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 yeah. inside, inside, inside. Yes, and yeah. now we have you know. Yeah, it could be inside clitoris yeah. to anus. It can go through. Yes. It, can, it can go anywhere, and and it really can be so. It, it changes lives. It really, truly does change lives. So, statistically, it's about eighty percent of women will experience yeah. vaginal dryness at some point in their life, and it's not something that improves with time. So let's not wait. Let's be proactive and use all the tools that we have at our disposal to help maintain that good blood flow circulation, keep the tissues hydrated potentially estrogen if it's indicated yep. when needed um, and enjoying sexual pleasure with or without a partner. I know we always say that too. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, speaking of tools, mm -hmm. what's the Buff Muff app? <laughs> Tell us. And what's it like? What's a day in the life of Kim Vopney like? Oh, gosh. Um, so the Buff Muff app, Buff Muff is a program that I created where I, I wanted to, based on my experience, but also on the now emerging evidence that shows that the benefits of resistance training and Kegels combined with resistance training can bring about quicker changes, but also more long lasting and more effective than just Kegels on their own or doing nothing at all. And so I, I created this program initially actually under the name Kegel Mojo. Mm -hmm. And then I started I just one day I, I did like, you know, hashtag Buff Muff and everybody sort of really <laughs> loved that. And so I decided to change the name. And so it, it's housed in an app. And I also wanted to make this accessible, not only because it's in an app, but just also knowing that we have busy lives. And so many people say, well, I just don't have time for my yes. so I don't have time. You have 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm asking for 10 minutes yep. and, and you don't have to drive anywhere or you don't park. Have to drive. It gives you a little notification. You can get yes. up from your desk and go do it. Yeah. Yeah. And get it done. And, and just it's 10 minutes and it's whole body movement. So you're building bones and muscle and it's your, for your heart and for your brain, but also your pelvic floor and it's Love training it. your pelvic floor dynamically. So it can be for people who already have symptoms. It can also be for people that don't. And uh, most people by about week two have about a 50% reduction in their symptoms. And the people who carry on, so it's a 28 day challenge that I run. 
but then I have other resources and workouts to support people beyond that. It's kind of like the eight to 12 week marker where people are like, I'm symptom free, my life has changed and they've, they've got their confidence back. Kim, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. Likewise. The, the <laughs> videos, the instructional quality on your app are like second to none. Like it doesn't even feel like you're watching a video. It feels like I might be in the same room on the <laughs> on the next yoga mat. No, seriously, um, it's one of the best. I know you've been acknowledged for your app and won an award, and that's just incredible. So, thank you, thank you for the work that you do. Um, I think you're amazing. I love you. <laughs> Thanks for doing this with me today. I love you too. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know you have many options for where you spend your time, so I'm grateful you chose this show. To learn more about my guest today, Kim Vopney, please visit vaginacoach.com and follow her at vaginacoach. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, do all those things, and follow me on social media at Menopause Chicks. Once again, I'd like to thank all the people who support this show and share my mission for women's health. Vichy, Ferapro, Feel Amazing Vulva and Vaginal Moisturizer, and Intimate Wellbeing. You can learn more in the show notes. Plus a big shout out to the team here at Oh Boy Productions. And remember, someone you know needs this information. Maybe it's you, maybe it's someone you love. Thank you for sharing it and see you next week on This Show Is Not About Menopause. 